Welcome to the Rock Ag Podcast. This is your host, Garrett Coffey, Ag and Natural Resource Agent for the University of Kentucky in Rockcastle County. Today, we will be joined by Dr. Jimmy Henning, Extension Forage Specialist for the University of Kentucky. We will be discussing ways to improve forage quality on beef cattle operations. We will cover topics such as frost seeding clovers, spring reseeding, seeding varieties, and the single most important thing for improving forage quality on our farms. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Henning. Uh, we appreciate you coming on with us. We are going to talk about some forage and hay improvement today and just some ways that uh, we can start now, which is amazing to me. I was thinking about it a couple of weeks ago and I was like, you know, it's going to be time to do that. So we're, we're getting close to that. So we're going to talk about just some ways to improve some forages, you know, maybe some um, seeding some clovers and doing some reseeding and and maybe some kind of variety. So uh, I guess the first thing that probably uh, I was thinking about is that we're actually going to be uh, ready to do is frost seed some clovers. I mean, it's about that time. You know, it really is. And and, and frost seeding of clovers is, is one of the greatest things probably that ever happened to forages in Kentucky. Because if you thought, if you think about it, if you had to seed every acre, every pasture acre with a no-till drill, and that's the only way you could get it, that would be slow and it would be expensive and, and it would not be very conducive to good pastures, I think. So yeah, we're, we're looking for that window in probably late January, early February, all the way up into March, where we can get clover seed onto <clears throat> some bare ground uh, and then uh, let mother nature, or sometimes we can physically help that too, but that seed really does have to work into that top quarter inch of the ground. Right. And then have a chance to come up. And what I what I think people miss or they hear that and what they miss in that message is it's got to be some there has to be some bare dirt. Right. If, it, if you're throwing it out on the tightest sod you've got and that that seed doesn't land on dirt or and even better, the, the germinating seed can't get up above that, yeah. then you're going to be disappointed. And, you know, I'm I've been doing this 30 years, Garrett, and I. I don't want to be disappointed. I, if I put seed out, if you put a cornfield out, you expect that to come up in rows and see it. Mm-hmm. And I think we we sometimes by no by by being able to frost seed that we forget about some of the other details like soil testing and yeah. competition control. Those are all very important in that equation. So whenever you you talk about that, I was thinking, you know, there got to got to get some contact with some dirt. Well, if I've got a decent sod that I'm wanting to get some clover seeded into. What about if I took like a like a chain drag or something like that? Will that help? Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, this is where the it becomes more art than science, uh, you know, but yeah, you've got to open that up and I've, spring tooth harrows can work. And, and actually, I saw something the other day that I thought was the coolest thing in the world, because if you get a spring tooth harrow and you go across the ground, you're going to you're going to dig it up a little bit, make some bare dirt. But uh, this individual had hooked up a little air seeder with little nos- nozzles and, and tubes, and it, you can calibrate it. So he and not only could he get the seed bounced out there at just as he was roughing it up, but he could also calibrate it. And uh, I just I'm thinking that is those are that's a that's a really good deal. But but yeah, roughing it up doesn't have to be sophisticated. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so on, on these clovers, obviously if I'm, 
doing this, I mean, does that, I assume that it works for pasture ground, hay ground, the same, uh, you know, the hay ground is probably going to have a little more, uh, overgrowth, I guess, of, of hay, but you know, if we wanted to seed some red clover into our hay, we could do that as well. You sure can. And I'll tell you, Garrett, it, it is, it's counterintuitive, but sometimes hay ground can have more open space at the bottom of the crowns at the ground level than you think. Yeah. Um, because the when you have hay ground and you're letting plants like orchard grass, tall fescue, grow up tall, we develop things we call mother plants. I mean, they're they're, they're bigger, uh, more aggressive, and yeah, they do fall over. And if if they're you know if if right now it's eight or twelve inches tall and leaning over, that's not really ready for overseeding. But uh, at the base down there, there's there you just take dig around there and you will find a fair amount of bare area if you've in a pasture setting, sometimes you, the plants will actually spread out a little more, and it may be a little bit harder to get a lot of bare ground in a pasture, a good pasture. Right, right. I've seen some that, uh, you know, me personally, I have some that, you know, there's no problem in finding bare ground. In that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a lot of, in most winters, yes, we can, yeah. we can find bare ground. Yeah, yeah, I don't have that problem in some of mine for sure. So, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so how much seed do we need per acre? I mean, to get a decent stand. I mean, whenever I say a decent, you know, something that I'm going to be able to walk out there and I'm going to say, yes, I have clover here, or, you know, that looks like yeah, I've got a pretty good stand of clover. What, what, what were we looking at there? You know, that you're going to find in anybody's recommendations a range. Uh, and we usually uh, will mix them up, a little white clover with red clover uh to to well just to give us two different kinds of uh grazing out there but it takes about six pounds of red clover and a pound or two of white is usually plenty uh if you look at how many seeds per pound there are of red clover versus white white has about four or more times the number of seeds per pound yeah so if you total those up that's going to be more than 100 seeds per square foot so you think oh my gosh that's that's a lot of seed but actually, you know, with the attrition and things that, you know, with the problems that happen, that's not a lot of seed. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it does make me think again, and, and I'm a little off subject here, but, you know, the, the people who plant corn, I'll bet they don't plant 100 seeds per square foot. Right. You know, yeah. and they get a stand. And so I think, uh, you know, the seeding rates kind of sometimes make up for the less than ideal seed conditions, you know, seed bed conditions. So you start with one or one pound of white and six of red and go from there. Okay. Um, you may need to go a little higher. Now, you know, one of the things that we're, I guess, relearning or, or learning again is that we need to keep a good stand of clover every year. And red clover is kind of a biennial. I mean, it, it has a look, you know, you give it a little bit in the seeding year, you get a big year and you get maybe a little bit in the third year. You kind of need to keep that seeded every year and keep the clover coming every year. Right. So it's for me, I think if uh, really believe if it was my dollar, I would be doing it every year and I would be paying a heck of a lot of attention to that seed soil contact. Yeah. So can if we're doing that every year, can we decrease our seeding rates? I mean, would that well, be? It, I think the thing that you can do to decrease the seeding rates is to make sure you're getting a really good seed soil contact. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because Make sure where you're seeding it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it. I can take four seeds in a four inch pot and get more clover than I can deal with. Okay. You know, if I, in a perfect situation, 
Right. So, uh, you know, it's it's just something that intrigues me, and I I've never really gotten serious enough about it to like say, hey, I want to figure this out. But I truly believe that clover is is vigorous enough that if we give it a little room to grow, it will come. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so my next question for you is, is we're going to uh, do a complete reseed on a hay field this spring. I was going to do it last fall, um, ran out of time, got late. And so I just decided to wait until the spring. Um, it is at this point, it's actually on a farm that we just got the lease on. And so there is nothing there worthwhile at this point. It is some wild grass and primarily weeds. So I want to get that in some seed this spring. Um, number one is when do I need to do that? When do I need to start thinking I need to, to decrease? It's been bush hogged off, mowed off, rotary cut off, however you want to say it. Uh, that was done last fall. So it's short. It's down, you know, four or five inches tall. And so when do I need to do that? Well, in this scenario, we're going to, we're going to have to get the grass, cool season grass started. Is that right. what you're saying? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, sometime in March and it depends on the winter, but you're going to need to assess what you've got for a seed bed. If you're, if you're going to plow, then that's going to shove you up into, you know, May. And I'm assuming you're not. I would rather avoid it, yes. Yeah, most of our pasture ground, we'd rather not do that too. Yeah. Or hay ground is rolling as well. And um, so you've you really got to assess what kind of vegetation is there. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've got two seeding windows for cool season grasses. We can do it in the spring and we can do it in the fall. Right. The challenge with cool season grasses is that spring seedings are um, doable, but very tough. Uh, tough in the sense that crabgrass and all the summer weeds give us a run for our money. So I will say this, I, you know, you've, you've got to use herbicides to clean up the vegetation that's there. Um, and it, well, I will say just, just straight out, say, assuming that you're, you know, two sprays of Roundup two weeks apart using the appropriate surfactant and rate is going to clean it up, then just get it out, get the grass out as early as you can. I would not put a clover with it. I'd seed it straight grass. I would seed it in two directions if I had my options um, to give myself a, a you know quicker cover. Uh, and then try to make sure, try to see how, if I could just keep it clipped at the, I mean, not very aggressively, but clipped so that the crabgrass doesn't shade it out. Mm. And you know, if you if you hit well with that, you'll you'll need a little bit of nitrogen too. Um, you know, just to get the grass up and running, not a heck of a lot, because a lot will stimulate all the warm season grasses. So you can do it then. The if if money wasn't the object and time wasn't crucial, then I would I would do I would use a herbicide. I would I would put in a summer annual, so that I had a chance to had the smother activity of the summer annual uh, to hold back what might be coming. You get a look then all during the season of what have I got out here? You know, you may need to use uh, some of the heavy duty broadleaf materials. Um, and the good news is about, the, at least as we're learning about some of those labels, that if you spray in midsummer, you know, you'll have, you've got enough time to be able to come in in the fall and put grass. Some of those replant intervals 
for some herbicides are long. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to be very careful if you know you're going to seed, you know, grasses. Right. Uh, so that those are the two options. Spring seedings is possible. Um, there are a lot of variables there because, you know, can you deal with fescue escapes that may be there and, yeah. you know, but that spring seedings is possible. Usually it's we're, we're racing against time and moisture and temperature. Right. So one thing that I, I want to touch on with that is you were talking about the herbicide. So, you know, in the springtime, I feel like that, that there's going to be kind of an iffy window is the best way I know to put it as to where that's going to be effective. Because obviously if I spray that today, that's, uh, that's useless. So, you know, there's that, there's that iffy, iffy window is the best way I know to put it as to yep. where we're going to be effective with that herbicide. Yep. So how do you feel about, you know, the spring herbicide cleanup on, on these hay fields? You know, I think I'm probably in the deep water there, Garrett. Uh, okay. I'd, I'd phone a friend if I was on a game show because I'd, yeah. I'd talk to the weed scientist, but it's a lead pipe sense that you've got to have some warm temps and you got to have actively growing right. reeds in order to get the effect that you want. Yeah. Um, I know we were doing no-till alfalfa for a good bit of time back a few years ago. Uh, and Lordy, we would have some, some of the ugliest messes you ever saw trying to hurry up and, and kill things down. And we were using Gramoxone. Yeah. A complete burn down. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, it's just one of those real difficult things to do in the springtime. We get we get like situations like yours where you you just, you know, the seed doesn't grow in the bag ever. Right. So you, you gotta kind of give it a shot. But you know, you I can I can envision a scenario where you get late. And the deal then is, you know, we're gonna be past April 15, just almost guaranteed to yeah. get that seeded. And yeah. the book says stop at April 15th. Right. Well, you know, in, in this case your circumstances dictate that you're going to take the risk of seeding later than April 15th. Right. And realize it's a risk. And, and uh, you know, that nobody's smart enough to know, you know, whether you'll be successful, but you can, you can control some things uh, and some things you can't. Right. Right. Okay. And I think that pretty well outlines it is that, you know, it's, it's, there's, it's going to be a shot and kind of any time that you do it, um, and so, you know, there's some options and, and it's always a race against the weather and the, and the time both seems like on, on getting those reseeded and hopefully that you make it, you get it right when you do it. And, you know, Garrett, I know you probably got to move on, but the, the, I would be more worried about setting up the no-till drill right than I would about seeding date. Honest, yeah. honest truth. Yeah. We make more mistakes with seeding too deep. Yeah. Uh, and seeding at the wrong rate and plug tubes and a bunch of other things. Yeah. And we do from seeding too late. I saw. So I worked in farm supply sales prior to my extension career. And I saw a lot of guys that took a no-till drill and they either they put all their seed on in a half acre or they they went over it four times trying to get the seed out of it. And then it was too deep and the seed didn't come up. And then it was my fault because I sold them bad seed. And, you know, mm -hmm. there was a lot. I, so I do fully agree with make sure that drill is correct whenever you you go to do that. And if in doubt, don't do it. Right. right. I've got I've got all of those T-shirts and all those medals <laughs> for, for doing it anyway and getting to redo it. Right. Right. Absolutely. And grass seed and, and especially legume seed is way too high to be uh, uh, having to redo it. For sure. Yeah. yeah.
So we'll move on to the next one. And I wanted to talk just a little bit about some seed varieties. Um, we see a lot of, of articles and information and, and every farm supply store that you go into has got a different opinion on it. And even sometimes whenever we cross over from, you know, the soil conservation to extension to farm supply stores, all three give a different recommendation on what we need to be seeding and what we need to be using. And I know there's a lot of new fescue varieties that are out there that seem to be doing well. Um, so, and I, I kind of want to say, first off, is that I, this is a humongous topic, and but it's kind of what are you looking to do, I think, with the varieties. But if I was going out today on my spring reseeding project that I was talking about just a minute ago, and I wanted to put in a field of hay that is going to produce, that's going to last, you know, several years. Hopefully the stand lasts pretty good. You know, what, what am I looking at? What do I need to be thinking about using in that situation? You know, that's, that's a really good question because we may be spoiled. I don't know, you know, or maybe we've been blessed. Tall fescue lives uh, forever. I mean, you ask, I ask occasionally, you know, in a meeting, how long do you expect a, a stand of, of grass to last? Or how long do you want it to last? Forever. Uh, and, you know, the endophyte infected tall fescue does. Um, so, you know, we, our options for our base grass is, you know, we've got orchard grass, you've got, you know, improved fescues, whether it's endophyte free or novel endophyte, or, or, you know, when do you just say, hey, I just need to seed Kentucky 31. It's a cost decision. Uh, and I'll, I'll deal with the endophyte. And, and really, if you're, you know, I'm going to say, let's go th to the premium end. If you're, if you really are having, if you've only going to seed it for a year and you've got, you know, the money is, is everything, then you're probably going to, then you're probably not going to be discussing which good variety should I use, you know? So when we, when we say, assume up front, we're, we're trying to do this right and we want it to last a long time, then you just about got to go to a novel end of fight tall fescue. The, the good, well, like I said, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that might have been more of a risk, but uh, we've got demonstrations now that are 10 years old and going fine. Um, I'm convinced that novel endophyte tall fescue gives us the longevity we need, the yields we need um, at a reasonable cost. Uh, orchard grass seed has gotten cheaper, but it, there for a while it was the same price. Yeah. And you know, orchard grass. Uh, at least in our experience, is a four-year thing, or maybe a little longer. Yeah. So I, you know, I think it's it's gotten a little more simple uh, about moving to the novel endophytes. Yeah, I, I think that whenever we actually did a, a another field uh, back about four or five years ago, and we did a mix of novel endophyte fescue and orchard grass, and uh, it turned out really well. Uh, we got some really good results. Uh, it's still there. Of course, like you said, the orchard grass has faded some. The fescue's still there. But the thing that about that field that I will say is that, I mean, it's managed exactly the same. And I was getting uh, my forage analysis off of that field was by far exceeding what I was seeing in just my, my fields that were unimproved, you know, that had Kentucky 31 and some orchard grass and that kind of stuff. So it was really, I mean, I was getting, you know, 13, 14% proteins on it compared to nine, eight, nine 9% proteins in my other fields. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just the real deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, so 
we've, we've done a lot of testing on those and other things. And the good news is about variety choice is that Kentucky has the largest variety testing program in the country. Yeah. Almost. I would say outside of the companies, we've got yeah. as big a program as anybody. Yeah. So, you know, the way I usually sort out what variety to seed is who do you like to, to trade with? Yeah. And, and, and go talk to them about their better materials because they typically have a range. Right. And then, you know, uh, I would do the research, look at the UK trials, see if you can find this. Been, it's been trialed here uh, most of the time. The, the better stuff has been trialed here. Uh, and then, then, you know, you've got a solid product. Yeah. Um, one, one quick thing is that we, we see a lot of, of information about incorporating legumes into hay ground. And I'm going to focus on hay with this one. And sometimes in, in meetings, whenever I say use red clover and hay, I get these guys that are just like, Oh, I know I do not want red clover in my hay. So, you know, what about, is there something else, I mean, that's going to be beneficial to us as that legume that maybe outside of red clover or, or, you know, what about that? You know, that is a good question because I'm a big red clover fan. So I would just say, you know, too bad. Red clover is what you need to seed, but uh, you know, you can, alfalfa is an option, but it, it has some real uh, you know, I won't say quirks, but limitations, or it fits in certain places, not for others. Yeah. But in terms of yield and what it does for you, red clover is really good. Now, if you if you're if it's cash hay, now I'll go back. If if it's hay that you're going to feed cows and calves and stockers and things like that, then I'd really try to figure out why it is the red clover wasn't suitable to you. Because if it's the hairs or the dustiness or things like that, you know, there's a a variety called Freedom that UK developed that has less of that, uh, but it really is the best suited for our hay situations. Okay. If you're only talking springtime cuttings, crimson clover as an annual can give you something in your first cutting, uh, and that's good. Um, Ladino white clovers are tall enough to contribute some to yield, but they don't really do the job for a, I mean, if we, if in my mind, if when we're talking, make sure we're talking apples and apples here, uh, I'm thinking of a, a stand of clover and grass where the clover is looking like half the stand. Right. Yeah. Because that's really what we're looking for uh, to not put nitrogen on a stand of mixed grass and clover. Uh, it takes a lot. Um, and we depend on the clover to do the heavy lifting there in those, in those yield and in those hay fields. And, so sometimes it may be better just to say, hey, let's, let's, let's just flip that the other way. Let's put nitrogen on for a spring cut or, or a fall cut or something like that. And, you know, that we just, I don't know of good options to take people to other than red clover and the, the Ladino white clovers help. But if you, were, if you were down there, Garrett, and cutting that stuff and trying to figure out what the yields were, I believe you convince yourself that red clover is the way to go. Okay. So the last question I have for you, and, and we might need to come back and do a complete podcast on this one. I don't know, but yeah. if uh, for, for myself, I've, I've got a, a beef cow farm that we cut some hay on and we pasture and we rotational graze. And, and so if, if you leave me today and, and I say, Dr. Henning, what is the most important thing that I can do starting today, uh, you know, to improve my 
production uh, of my forages on my farm? What what can I do to do that? What what's going to be your your answer? You know, <laughs> it, it's a that's a that's a loaded question, a big time <laughs> loaded question. But um, you know, because there, I'm just going to give you the caveats up front. You know, the rotational grazing is critical. Yeah. Knowing the, your soil fertility and knowing what the limiting factors are is critical because, you know, you can you can overgraze or do a terrible job with pasture and nothing you do is going to, you know, that's the limiting factor. So in a sense, you're saying you got to decide, you got to figure out for yourself what the limiting factor is. What's the worst thing happening in your forage program? Because that's what's holding you back, yeah. you know. Um, but I will, I will go at least out on the limb far enough to say that, with all that we've known about tall fescue over the years and the end of fight, and I mean, there's probably been more research done on tall fescue as a grass in Kentucky than any other thing in probably in the College of Ag, I swear, yeah. uh, except you could say corn or soybeans, you know, but um, I think the thing that I, I think that's not done that we need to do, and that is have the best fescue management program you can have. Yeah. Now that's going to encompass <clears throat> using clover everywhere you can. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, if I was your consultant, Garrett, I'd say, I want you to do a tiller test. I want to know what the end of fight infection level is in every field. Yeah. Because we're finding that it's, you know, while it, it's pretty common to find highly infected fields, there are some fields that aren't. Yeah. And we're even finding that we can have ergovaline variances field to field. In other words, an infected field, and I've got one in Bourbon County right now that ought to be zero parts per billion ergovaline, it's 500. Yeah. And I've got some on the other side of Lexington that's 150 or zero, Yeah. you know? So I would say, you know, to pick something so I don't just waffle all over the place, <laughs> that, that having a fescue plant is, is probably the single nuggets you want to do first on a, on a tall, on a, on a Kentucky beef cow farm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think you hit on a, a lot of things that, you know, and I, and I have as an extension agent, I have people ask me that, you know, what can, what, where do I need to start? And I think probably a starting point maybe is, is the way that I should have asked that instead of the single most important. But, you know, I, I mean, I think with our soil test, number one is that, you know, if we're dumping, you know, a, a ton of lime a year and we don't need it, then we're, that's a bad thing. You know, if we're dumping a bunch of triple 19 and need a bunch of lime, then, you know, we need to determine those factors. But also, like you said, with managing the fescue, I think that, you know, obviously we have fescue, it's here. I don't think the fescue is ever going to leave. We can never get rid of it. I mean, and I, I don't to. want to, right, exactly. I don't want to because it's, it's fed a lot of my cattle for a lot of years, but managing that fescue. And that's something that we've really focused on on our farm personally in the last few years is kind of, you know, what, what can we do to help that out? What can we make, where can we make changes to do that? And so yeah. I, I feel like we've really made some good improvements by managing managing that fescue for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, great question. Um, it, it, yeah. So, that, but that's, that's, a, I'd say a way to start is to make sure you're dealing with fescue, yeah. have a plan. Well, Dr. Henning, we appreciate your time today. Um, it's been great. I think we've got a lot of good information 
Um, one thing that I always say in my podcast is that with the extension, uh, there's tons of research and tons of publications and tons of information to back us up and to help us go in the right direction. So I feel like that extension really does a great job in doing that. So reach out to whoever, myself, our specialists, uh, all are great. And so that's a, I feel like that that's a really important starting point as well is to start with the extension and, and get our information. You bet. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Henning. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rock Ag Podcast. If you would like any further information on the content of this podcast, please contact Garrett Coffee at the Rockcastle County Extension Office. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. Thank you.